Hi, this is Pastor Brittany Isaac from Urban Village Church, Chicago. We are a church that is bold, inclusive, and relevant. I know that many of you out there are hungry for a gospel message of healing and wholeness, a message that leads to a life transformed by Christ. I hope that this podcast does just that. And if it does, would you please consider making a financial gift that will support this gospel-inclusive ministry? You can do that by going to urbanvillagechurch.org forward slash give. Thanks so much and have a blessed day. So I'm going to be reading the scripture today. It's from Luke chapter 6 verses 1 through 11. One Sabbath, while Jesus was going through the grain fields, his disciples plucked some heads of grain, rubbed them with their hands, and ate them. But some of the Pharisees said, Why are you doing what is not lawful on the Sabbath? Jesus answered, Have you not read what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He entered the house of God and took and ate the bread of the presence, which it is not lawful for any but the priest to eat, and gave some to his companions. Then he said to them, The Son of Man is the Lord of the Sabbath. On another Sabbath, he entered the synagogue and taught, and there was a man there whose right hand was withered. The scribes and Pharisees watched him to see whether he would cure on the Sabbath so that they might find accusation against him. Even though he knew what they were thinking, he said to the man who had the withered hand, Come and stand here. He got up and stood there. Jesus said to them, I ask you, is it lawful to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath, to save life or destroy it? After looking around at all of them, he said to him, stretch out your hand. He did so, and his hand was restored. But they were filled with fury and disgust with, any, with one another what they might do with Jesus. The word of God for the people of God. My name is Alan Bauer. I'm the student pastor here at Andersonville. Uh, will you all pray with me? God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of all our hearts be found acceptable in your sight, a rock and our redeemer. Amen. All right. So do you all remember the Venn diagram Brittany showed during the first week of this sermon series? If you weren't here or you don't remember, I'm going to put it up on the screen for you real quick. Yes? There we go. I really like this uh, Venn diagram. Uh, very few of us ended up in the middle star because it's so hard to fit all four of these uh, different categories. Uh, but I love the wording of all of these. Um, and not just the cheeky jokes about being a Kardashian or not, don't be a doctor if you're not you know, good at your job, right? Don't do that. Um, but did you notice that the, the language in each circle, that all of them are active except for the bottom one, right? You are good at it. You love your job. The world needs it. But the bottom one is you can be paid for it. Maybe, right? Like it's, it's not necessary. Uh, in conversations with some of you, I heard uh, multiple times from, from you out there that you don't think you fit in the center because you aren't paid enough for the job you do. Uh, but go back around again, and um, 
unfortunately, <laughs> it doesn't say you need to be paid enough, just that you can be paid with it. Right? That's sorry if, if you felt like I'm underpaid for what I do. I love my job otherwise, but I'm underpaid. You're, you're in the middle. Now let's be clear, I'm right there with you, and I'm going to say this right now, that the, the following sentence I'm about to say is not reflective on Urban Village Church at all. I'll explain why after, but uh, I'm right in the center with you, but you better believe that I am not adequately paid. Uh, <laughs> me doing this work is a requirement for my degree. Uh, it's called field education, and my seminary sets the standard for what I should be paid for my work. Uh, you can look it up online. It's published on our website, so students coming in know what they can expect. Uh, but I could get a job working literally anywhere else and get paid more than I get paid to be here. So I'm right in the center of that diagram. But I feel all y'all who, who you told me that you're underpaid. Now, I have some legitimate gripes with the seminary system, not just my seminaries, but my, all seminaries and how the institution of the church values the labor of seminarians like me, like some of you out there today, with the thought that we're going to transform the world and we're going to do it by making sure that our future pastors have a really hard time getting a degree without accumulating a mountain of debt to go with it. I think the vision of God's economy got lost somewhere in that rambling sentence. So I feel y'all, but I still love what I do. In fact, I'm getting kind of conditioned to being underpaid. In the last four years, every job that I've had that I've worked at least 15 hours at has paid me less than minimum wage last four years. But you know what? I loved my work during all four of those years. Each job has helped define who I am today and who I was in each individual moment along the way. I kind of feel like one of the disciples. They love their job. The world definitely needs their job. They're not very good at it at the moment in the story, but they will be, and they have a few flashes of brilliance. And they get paid every so often, not in money really, but perhaps in a miracle catch of fish or a place to lay their head at night from some stranger that welcomes them into their home. They get a type of payment. But in the first story from today, they're traveling, they're hungry, they're tired, they have no food, and it's the Sabbath. So Jesus sends them into the nearby field to pluck and eat the grain. This is not a fancy feast. They're eating grain raw. And I did some quick Googling, and this is not the best idea for you. <laughs> Raw grains are hard to digest. You'd get less nutrition out of them than if you were to cook them. In the long term, eating lots of raw grain would lead to malnutrition and would make you sick for other reasons. This isn't something you do unless you have to. Now we should be clear that what the disciples doing was not stealing in Jewish law. There's a provision in the law that allows for the poor and the traveler to eat from the edges of a field. In fact, in Leviticus, it prohibits landowners from harvesting from the edge of their crop and the fruit that has fallen on the ground so that the poor and the traveler might be able to eat it. So there's nothing morally wrong with the actual taking of the grain from somebody's field. That's allowed. The problem is that it's the Sabbath. The Sabbath is the time when people are supposed to rest and not do work. In fact, there's a bunch of rules around what is permitted and what is not permitted on the Sabbath. In fact, the people that create these rules, that really enforce these rules, are the Pharisees. That's why they're so upset. They're a sect in Judaism during the time of Jesus um, that believed that there's both the written law, the Old Testament, and an oral tradition passed down from Moses 
that interprets and explains the written law and is just as valid and just as important as the written law itself. And I tell you this uh, for two reasons. First, it explains why the Pharisees are so upset. But it also wins in the end. Modern-day Judaism, rabbinic Judaism, comes out of Pharisaic Judaism. So it's some context for your interactions with our Jewish sisters and brothers. So the disciples pluck and eat the grain, which is work, according to the oral tradition. So the Pharisees call them out. The disciples' job is one of those star jobs, though. Right in the middle, it's one of the star jobs, but it sucks, right? Jesus' job, it's, it sucks right now, right? He's quite literally born to do this job, and he could not be more in the center of this Venn diagram. But his job sucks. Every single time he does something, every time he does his job, somebody complains about it. Here they are taking a break from their work, and he's still getting complaints about the way they take a break. <laughs> the text doesn't tell us this, but I think Jesus is exhausted and, and just doesn't want anything to do with it at this point. He hears the Pharisees complaining, and he gets real sarcastic. I don't know if you heard it in it, but do you not remember what David did? Did you forget our history? Can you hear the sass coming from him? <laughs> and here's the kicker. That story about Jesus David is talking about, uh, it just didn't, uh, I lost my place, sorry. That story from David, it might have happened on the Sabbath. It might not have. In fact, it probably didn't, because Jesus doesn't say, don't you remember what David did on the Sabbath? But he says, don't you remember what David did when he was hungry? Right? This isn't a Sabbath story Jesus is referencing. So the Pharisees are upset. And Jesus says, well, David broke this completely different law. And so we're going to break this law because that makes sense. And he knows this argument isn't very strong, so he throws on a little emphasis by saying, the Son of Man is Lord of the Sabbath. Right? He's not in his A game. He's throwing out just <laughs> random things here. He's tired of all the complaints. So he gets real sarcastic, says the first thing that comes to mind, and while the Pharisees are confused, throws out the Son of Man thing, and then they're real confused about what's going on, and so they don't know what to say back. <laughs> so he gets the critics to, to shut up for a moment. But then some time passes, and he's less tired now. It's another Sabbath, and he's, at, he's on his A game, right? He's, he's in the synagogue doing what he does best. He's teaching, he's preaching, he knows what's going on. And he notices a man who has a withered right hand. And this is important, that it's his right hand that's withered. Uh, see, in, in that culture, your right hand is your clean hand. Uh, but this guy can't use his right hand, so he has to do everything with his left. He eats with his left hand, but he also uh, bathes and cleans himself with his left hand. And this is first century here. We're not talking soap and tissue paper, right? He does everything with his left hand. And because he does everything with his left hand, he is a continuously unclean person. So Jesus is at the top of his game. He knows that people aren't going to like it if he heals this guy on the Sabbath. And please note, though, that uh, Jesus is teaching and preaching in the, the synagogue here, and that's not work, right? <laughs> this doesn't qualify as work. Uh, just, just saying. <laughs> so Jesus invites this guy forward, looks around, looks out at the crowd, and he says, is it right to do good or to do harm on the Sabbath? And he knows no one's going to say, oh, you've got to do harm on the Sabbath, right? That's clearly not the right answer. So he keeps going, to save life or destroy it. And here he's turned a corner. 
See, one of those rules about the Sabbath is that you cannot heal on it. This doesn't necessarily mean miraculous healing, but you can't uh, do any sort of healing. You can't get bandages. You can't do, get medicine. The doctors are not in on the Sabbath, unless it's a matter of life and death. Of course, if you have a life-threatening injury on the Sabbath, you can get healed. You can get treated if you have a life-threatening injury. So when Jesus asks to save life or destroy it, he has placed the act of healing this man's hand into an act of saving his life. The man might not be physically dying at that moment, but Jesus rebrands it as being just as important as that. This man's an outcast. He's always unclean, untouchable, for to touch him is to take on his uncleanliness. So he lives a social death every single day. So Jesus heals his hand to save his life. And this is really good news, so I want to sit here and with, with it for a moment. Jesus' answer, God's answer to this man isn't wait until tomorrow when it's lawful. Instead, God sees this man's daily condition and daily death to the world in which he lives, and God says, no more. It needs to be fixed now because to let this man, a child of God, go another day dead to the world is not love. It is cruel. I could take this sermon in so many places now, right? I'm sure you can imagine some of them. No more will we exclude gay and lesbian folks from ordination. No more will we exclude gay and lesbian folks from marrying in our churches. No more will we accept black children being shot on the street by gangs. No more will we accept black children being shot by the police. No more will we accept poisoned water in our cities. No more. But Jesus, God incarnate, literally born for the job he is doing, stands there, look out, looks out at the synagogue, and knows that these people, his people, are going to be pissed at him for doing this. They're not going to be happy. You cannot convince me that this job does not suck for him. I love being here with you all every week, but my job and Brittany's job and every ministerial job out there sucks. The reason we do the job we do is because we wish we didn't have to. My job, the job of the church, the job of nonprofits all over the world is to stop having a job. That economy of God we talked about a few sermon series ago is not an economy that needs pastors or social workers or soup kitchens or shelters. I don't need to tell you how great God is every day and what God's good news is if you get to live it fully every day. I'm trying to work myself out of a job here. My job sucks because it shouldn't even exist. And there's two sides to that coin. My job that shouldn't exist because I'm trying to make the world no longer need my job, and then jobs that shouldn't exist because they actively cause harm. Easy extreme example for me is uh, somebody who has the job of assembling a nuclear bomb. God's economy doesn't need nukes, right? You're most likely not at either of those extremes, right? but maybe it feels like your job doesn't add anything to the world. Maybe it sucks for another reason. Whatever reason that is, and for most of us, there's some reason, at least sometimes, but whatever reason you have, is there some way to redeem your work? If there's nothing redeeming about it, if it just sucks, no matter what, look for a new job. If you can't redeem it, look for a new job. If it just takes up all your time and wears you down, you can't add anything to the world because it's just draining on you, go look somewhere else. Work, in part, defines who we are, and it's, 
it's going to suck from time to time. In Genesis chapter 2, it says, Cursed is the ground because of you. In toil you shall eat of it all the days of your life. Thorns and thistles it shall bring forth to you, and you shall eat of the plants of the field. By the sweat of your face you shall eat bread until you return to the ground. For out of it you were taken. You are dust, and to dust you shall return. This is our story of work. It's not a good story. According to our scripture, our work can suck because we live in a fallen world. It's not supposed to be that way. It's supposed to be joyous and great all the time. But our world just isn't perfect. We work very hard to eat just a little bit. So we have to do the work of redeeming what we do. To redeem something is to buy it back. So when we call Christ our Redeemer, we are saying Christ bought us back from our sins, from our faults, from our troubles. And so we have to redeem our work. We have to buy back our work from the brokenness of the world that we live in. Maybe we buy it back because our work is hard, and so it grows us and stretches us. Maybe we buy it back because it allows us to relate better to people, be more empathetic. Maybe we buy it back because we're able to bring together people and resources and ideas to create new things. Maybe we buy it back because our job, unglamorous as it might feel, keeps our world clean or functioning. Maybe we buy it back by saying the job itself has nothing redeeming about it, but it gives us the time and resources to change lives outside of our work. What redeems your job? Whether it sucks all the time, most of the time, some of the time, or hardly ever. What do you do to redeem those moments, long or short that they may be? I had a job a while ago working in a church. It was a great job. It paid pretty well. It had good hours, didn't dominate my time, was flexible scheduling-wise. It allowed me to develop relationships with people and had lots of moments where I could just have fun. But I wanted to start something new. To take the ministry in a new direction, I had the time, we had the resources. I felt like the community had the hunger for what I wanted to bring them, but my boss wasn't interested. It took years, literally years, before I was allowed to create a short five-week program, which I designed and built from the ground up, but which I had to cede some control of to my boss. Control around branding and marketing, which ended up with a groovy branding to a very serious type of content. The goofy stuff didn't bring people in. It didn't help. It just made for an awkward attempt at being clever. The people in the program ended up loving it. We didn't have nearly enough time. I was given five weeks to cover everything, right? Could have gone much longer. And when, when we were done, the people who took part in it came out learning new things and going deeper into their faith. But after that program, nothing similar was attempted again by my boss. It's one and done. Work can suck because sometimes you love your job and you do great work, but the higher-ups don't put value on your passions and the gifts you could bring to the table. Work can suck because your opinions can be undervalued or given no value by your supervisors. Work can suck because you can bring forward a great idea that has high marketability to a big audience that is craving exactly what you can provide, and your boss just doesn't get it. So they don't invest in it. This is harder to redeem, I think. When you have a great job and know exactly how to redeem it, but you're not allowed to. How do you redeem not being allowed to redeem your work? I wish I had a a good answer for you. Um, 
something universal that fixed every job? Uh, I don't. <laughs> uh, but we're going to watch a clip from the movie Office Space. Uh, that I, I love this movie, and I hope this clip can be a little helpful. So here we go. <laughs> now Peter, the guy being interviewed, has been hypnotized to just not care anymore. He doesn't worry about getting fired, and he's completely and brutally honest in this uh, layoff interview, right? I don't recommend you talk to your employers like <laughs> Peter does, but maybe with your friends or in your small group, and if you don't have a small group, right? That's yeah, sign ups, yeah, yeah. Um, but if friends are in your small group, uh, you can be honest about why or what you do and, and why it can suck from time to time. Maybe we can hold each other in these moments and encourage one another in these moments. Maybe we can help to redeem each other's work and find redemption here. We are already redeemed. Christ took care of all that for us. So may we, refine, may we find that redemption this day in this community